I have very different responsibilities from my friends at 26 years old. And I haven't really publicly discussed them because it makes me sort of anxious. And so today we're going to take a bit of a pivot because I read something and then I prayed and God says I have to let go. And in order for me to let go, the kind of person that I am, I have to verbalize what it is that I'm feeling in a space that I feel is safe. And this podcast is a space that I've created that I consider to be very safe. So I have different responsibilities. At 26 years old, I am my grandfather's primary caretaker. I am not totally without help. He has three adult children. Right now, two of those adult children, his daughters, are dealing with cancer. One being my mother, who had to have her breast removed and reconstructed, and unfortunately had to have one breast totally removed after having them both reconstructed. Um, so that was difficult because I watched her be very happy after her initial reconstruction because she did have to get her breast, uh, removed and then to see her go through that healing process and be so happy with her results, you know, and getting through sickness and everything only for things to change and her have to completely remove one of her breasts. I am praying and hoping that in the future she can ultimately have the breast that has had to now be totally removed, um, reconstructed, reconstructed, reconstructed in some way. Her sister, her big sister, has liver cancer and it is getting to be quite aggressive and quite serious. And my family is sort of in this very transitional phase. Um, I would say over the years, my family has experienced quite a bit of tragedy. Uh, my cousin and uncle, great uncle, I should say, so father and son, uh, my aunt, my cousin, unfortunately, lost his life due to gun violence um, completely by being a an innocent bystander, like 100% wasn't involved. The bullet just struck him and he died. And hours after he was pronounced dead, his father, my great uncle, had a heart attack and died. So that's very traumatic. And the same year that that happened, uh, to give you all some context, I was in college when all of this happened. I was in my junior year of college so I was about 21 years old um so this happened all about five to six years ago give or take some months and specific timelines so I always call that year the most difficult uh year of my life that was the year that I experienced sexual assault uh, that was the year that, yes, my uncle 
and Cousin Di, two very instrumental men in my life, both who I credit to inspiring me to attend Spelman College as they were um, graduates of HBCUs themselves, my uncle going to Clark, um, you know, so really inspired me to be a part of the AUC. Uh, that year to my very first best friend, I always refer to Princess as my, you know, first real Spellman sister, was killed in a car crash. And a couple of weeks later, I always jokingly and affectionately called Hannah my first white uh, best friend. She was killed in a car crash. And then another uh, good friend of mine, Kavi, a couple of weeks later, was also killed in a car crash. And so the way that I explain that 20th and 21st year of my life to people, that junior year of college, is that some of the people that I loved the most, the most, the most, the most that I had close, close, close relationships with all died in extremely tragic and violent uh, ways within weeks of each other. So for about three to four months, I didn't go more than maybe two and a half, maybe three weeks without somebody that I deeply loved and cared for dying. And, you know, again, very tragic and gruesome ways. I will spare y'all the details, but yeah. And so as I transitioned through that year, my junior year of college, I ultimately left Spelman College. I left uh, about two months shy of completing my junior year because I just couldn't anymore. Uh, I had tried to stay at school. I had tried to keep going to class. And I knew something was wrong the minute that I was skipping classes. You know, in college, you might play hooky every now and then. You might skip a class or two. But I mean, I was skipping full weeks of classes and professors were reaching out to me. And God bless them because they did everything that they could to see if I was okay. I also lived off campus at the time. So it was even easier to avoid going to school. I also developed a huge fear of cars, as you all can understand. I was very afraid to get in a car. Um, and I, I just didn't feel myself anymore. I was also in a situationship <laughs> um, that was going nowhere fast. And I want to make it very clear, though, that I am so thankful for that man and his presence in my life at that time because although our romantic sexual relationship probably wasn't the best to be happening at that time, he was very much there and present for me. Um, and I always thank and credit him for that. He really kind of got treated like a punching bag uh, for a couple months there and he, stuck, he stayed beside me. So I appreciate him. And he knows that. I've verbalized all this to him. Uh, yeah. So all that happens, right? Here we are. Five, really almost six years later at this point. We're halfway through 2023. And this moment right now, my mother, her sister, even my grandfather. My grandfather recently fractured his ankle. So my grandfather had a total knee replacement 
and he really needs to have both of his knees totally replaced. He has bone on bone arthritis in both knees. He theoretically, you know, in a perfect world would have gotten his knees done like 10 years ago. And this was suggested to him, you know, this was something his doctors have sort of been pushing him to do for many, many, many years. Honestly, really since I was in middle school, but he just put it off, put it off, put it off. Um, But it got to a point in about 2021, 2022, where his mobility was just declining and declining quickly. And so he finally opted to have one of his knees done. Now, they no longer do both knees at the same time they used to, but you know, they since have learned a lot of things, I guess, in the last decade or two about knee surgery and they no longer do both knees at once. They typically do one knee and then about 6 to 8 months later you do the other knee. Um and so he's about, you know, uh not even a full year out of surgery yet, uh post surgery and the knee that he has not yet had operated on completely went out. Um, it completely went out on him and it caused him to put far more stress than he often would have to on his right knee that he has had operated, uh, which caused a fracture in his ankle. And so now he is in a boot. And this has been frustrating because he was doing so well, right? There was so much improvement. He was getting his strength back. He, you know, had a walker. Then he was promoted from the walker to a cane. You know, it was, things were looking awesome, right? Things were looking great. And so as his primary caretaker, his ankle fracture feels like a, um, almost like a failure and a major, major setback. And although I know that his fracturing his ankle is entirely out of my control. It still feels like it's my fault. And I feel that caretakers, especially very, very young caretakers, I would consider myself a very young caretaker. My grandfather is 83. I feel like with us, and especially when you don't have immediate help, like I said, I am not I'm not without help. It is just that my help isn't as immediate. And my mother typically was my, let's say, my primary source of receiving help when needed. Now she, right, obviously is not as available. Not only has she had multiple surgeries in the last four months and is still in recovery herself, uh, she is limited to what she can do. She has recovered, I mean, really well in a very fast, uh, quick pace, but you know, she's still limited. So she does come over and she does what she can do, but it is still not like maybe, you know, a year ago or two years ago, things are very much different. Um, yeah. And so I often feel like my responsibilities, um, as much of a honor and a benefit that I know it is. Like I know that I am in such a blessed and highly favored position to even be caring for my grandfather. At times it almost feels like a burden to those around me. Uh, I don't feel like caring for my grandfather is a burden, but I feel like the responsibility that it is, is burdensome to other people. Let me explain. I 
had a episode where I said, you know, you will change. And in that episode, I talked about how by abstaining from sex, you will change fundamentally as a person and your relationships to the people around you will change as well because your everyday practices and rituals and patterns will change and people will take notice and people will either be clapping for you, rooting for you and supporting you, whether or not they agree, disagree, or even, you know, give two raccoons about your lifestyle change. And others might be like, oof, girl, you know what? That's a little too extreme for me. I'm going to pull back. I feel that there's this same dynamic shift in friendships and in relationships when you become a caretaker, especially for an elder. And my grandfather historically has always been a really, really mobile guy. And so when he got his knee surgery, you know, he was out for down for the count for a couple of weeks to do his recovery and then having this wonderful recovery and now this regression because his other knee needs to be operated on. And it is now abundantly clear that no matter what we do, like even after his ankle heals and he gets strong again and and the right leg and the right knee and the right ankle get strong again, the left knee, right? And the left leg and the left ankle are still going to be extremely, extremely weak. It's bone on bone. There's nothing there. There's nothing you can do about bone on bone arthritis other than to get your knee replaced. That like that's it. Yes, you can take some cortisone shots, and yes, they have that little gel thing they can inject, but those are very temporary fixes to what is always going to be a long-term issue. Now, I thank God that his hips are good and his hips aren't bad, um, but you still gotta do what you gotta do. So, for me as his caretaker, seeing this regression has put me in a space of having to take inventory of my relationships to people, my expectations of self, and then the expectations for those around me. And I know they tell you, or I should say, I know that people will often say you shouldn't have expectations for people. I do not entirely agree. I think that you should not expect people to be like you, of course, but, you know, if you are willing to do A, B, C, and one, two, three for someone, I would hope and pray that they're willing to do A, B, C, and one, two, three for you to their capacity. You feel me now? How they do A, B, C, and one, two, three for you might not look the exact same way that you do it for them, but it is the attempt and gesture that truly matters, right? Maybe you're able to give your friend, let's say, $100 when they ask. Really, is less about the $100. It's more so that when your friend needs to lean on you for financial support, if it does not put you in a detrimental state, you are willing and able to give. So really what it is, is not that you need your friend to be able to also give you $100 next week, right? But if you are in need of 100 although your friend possibly might not be in the space to give you 100 I would hope, right? You would hope that if they are in the space to even give you $5, if it does not put them in a detrimental space, that they would be willing and able to give you that $5 and that they would, you see? So you might've been able to give them a hundred. They might not be able to give you a hundred back, but they can give you five. So at the end of the day, they have still met you where you are as a person, right? 
So that's what I mean where you, you can have expectations, but let, let's make them realistic. Let's remember that people are not you. People cannot be you. People are not meant to be you, but people can be aligned with your values and people can meet you where they are, right? There can still be a coming together and expectations that are, they don't have to be grandiose and ridiculous. So that's just an example. And so now my grandfather is, you know, he's sort of regressed because he just has to get that left knee done. It's just nothing you can do about it. Now, his eldest daughter is going to be coming to stay with us for some time. Um, It might be, well, it's not going to be an extended amount of time, but she'll be here for a few days. She receives, I would say, her primary cancer treatment here in the city, but she does not live here in the city. She and I do not have a good relationship. Now, we used to. My aunt used to be one of my favorite people in the world. There was a shift. Something happened many, 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 many years ago when I was much younger, about eight years old. And ever since then, it's been a very rocky and volatile relationship, not just amongst myself, but amongst pretty much everyone in the family. And uh, I love my aunt. I really do. I really could cry, but I'm I'm not that kind of emotive person. It actually makes me un- uncomfortable. Um, so I'd rather just verbalize it. I really do love my aunt and I've always been rooting for my aunt and uh, I, there's still a part of me, uh, you could say my inner child, there's still a part of me that really wants that aunt who I consider like, you know, she was like a, I don't know, she was like a friend in my head, right? Like as a little kid, I just thought my aunt was so cool. I thought she was so cool. I just thought... Yeah, I have no words. Like, I just thought she was so cool. I really just thought she was incredible, amazing. I loved going places with her. I loved staying with her. I loved all the things she would introduce me to. Um, But something happened almost like 18 years ago. Um, And she's not been quite the same since. And um, yeah. And from what I can understand from my family is that Although that might be my experience for them, it's been even longer that she has right not really been quite the same person that they remembered her to be. But I can only speak for my own experience. And so my aunt is going through this really horrific thing. And so are my grandparents. This is their firstborn. This is their eldest child. And she has a rare form liver cancer. Liver cancer itself just period is rare. Like liver cancer is just a rare form of cancer. It just is. We don't have a lot of knowledge on it. We have of course far more than we used to, you know, but it's not like a a breast cancer or a colon cancer or or a prostate cancer, right? Like those are cancers that people have a pretty high chance of survival. Of course, cancer is cancer, so there's always, you know, that kind of, you know, weighing over you. But for the cancers that we have more research on and have had 
higher success in survival rates after treatment. Um, you know, it is what it is. And liver cancer, from what I can understand and, and from what I've gained from research, is that there also aren't many treatment options. Again, because they just don't have much research on it. And so praise be to God that my aunt is able to receive care in some of the very best facilities and, and with some of the very best doctors, right? The, some of the some of the leading doctors um, on, on research on liver cancer. Even so, right, my grandparents have had that difficult conversation with each other and with me that, yes, there is a very real possibility that my aunt might not survive this. Is that what everybody wants? Absolutely not. You know what I'm saying? Like anytime you hear that somebody has cancer of any kind, I don't care if it's pinky toe cancer, right? Like, you know, like I feel like people always get that kind of feeling in the pit of their stomach, like, oh my God, you know, like even if they tell you whatever cancer it is, oh, there's a, they could even say there's a 90%, right? Survival rate. All people really hear is, oh, so there's a 10% chance I won't live. You know, like that's all that people kind of really hear. But liver cancer, again, it is rare. There are not high survival rates. And the older you are, the less your chances are. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people who are, you know, 60, 70, 80, 40, 50, right? 90 even who are surviving liver cancer and living for many years after their diagnosis, right? There are some people. The point is though, there aren't many. And doctors, it's so interesting because I used to want to be a doctor so bad um, until I learned that you would have to be responsible for delivering that type of news to people at times. And I said, oh, you know what? I actually am not equipped for that. I'm already not a very emotive person. The way I process my emotions, especially my big emotions like grief and sadness, like those kind of more like intros to me, those feel like introspective emotions. I really, 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 really don't express those like that. Like I'll probably cry when I'm angry before I cry because I'm sad. You know, sadness to me or grief to me has always felt, even since I was a child, has always felt like a, a introspective thing, something I do inside. And if I really need to get it outside, then I have to write about it. But other than that, you're not going to get much emotions out of me. The only times I've really outwardly expressed those big emotions, honestly, were at the funerals other people that I mentioned at the top of this episode. And so that's me, right? But so doctors still have to be honest with you, even with my mother, right? She has to have so many surgeries and they have to make sure they get all this, you know, cancerous tissue out and then they think they did and then there's more tissue and then, you know, ooh, whatever, right? There's all these things. And every time, right? Every time, even though they're like, this is a routine, we've done it trend trillion times, boo, boo, boo. With all that being said, they still have to look at you and say, but listen, there's a possibility of the big one, the one you don't come back from, at least in physical form. And so it's always scary. It's always scary. 
And so when there's something like what my aunt is experiencing that really is so, you know, big and feels to the family, I'll say, like like the, the feelings that I'm getting from the family is that there is fear. And although my grandparents are talking to me, I know they're not telling me everything, you know? And as I said, my aunt and I do not have a good relationship. I've made many attempts to try to repair that relationship, but through therapy, I came to understand that, and my grandparents would be in therapy in high school, um, because of that shift and that dynamic and me being a child still and being like, I don't understand why this person that I love so deeply, who was one of my favorite people on the whole entire planet, I don't understand why this person is not being kind to me. Um, Yeah. And so I through therapy, I came to understand that one, it's not my responsibility as a child. So high school, right? I'm a child. So one, it's not my responsibility as a child to repair a fractured relationship that I have with an adult. Right? Two, I came to understand that even when I did reach adulthood, which I now have, right? It is still not my responsibility to repair their relationship with that adult because one, I, I didn't, I didn't do anything. And my yearning and, and longing to repair that relationship is just because it felt like an abandonment, right? It felt like my aunt had abandoned me, like she had left me because she was this person and then she moved and then Something happened, and the next time I saw her, she wasn't who I had remembered her to be, and she was unkind. Um, and so now it's been many, many years, actually been over a decade at this point, and it's been persistent, right? There has been no change. There has been no growth. If anything... There will be moments of when I'm like, oh, there's my aunt. You know, like, there she is. There she goes. And then it's gone. It's gone for years. And then there's a moment. And then it's gone for years. And so I have this big anxiety around her presence because, one, I often don't know who I'm going to receive And then now that she's experiencing this thing, I, one, have to respect her boundaries and what she wants, right? I have to respect her boundaries. And although she's coming to stay with my grandfather and I in our home, um, she still has rights to her boundaries, right? And the reason why I have this anxiety is because, yeah, um... I often get verbally accosted when she's around um, and there's just behaviors and things that, you know, cause anxiety. I don't want to go into very much detail. This is actually already a lot. And um, 
Yeah. So it's just hard. And I'm sort of in this space uh, where I'm like wrestling with these feelings, right? They, they, people always say two things can be true, right? You can still want the very best for someone, pray for someone's healing, lay offering for someone's healing and deliverance and all the things. And that person can also not be in your life, in your story, right? That person can also not be a kind person towards you. That person can also bring you great anxiety and um, anger, actually, and and um, frustration. And you can still love that person, right? You can still love that person. So all these things can be true. And for me, I would say with my aunt, all those things are true. You know, all those things are very, very true. And so as I prepare for her arrival, um, I had to revisit responsibility. And my grandfather is in this state of, you know, now needing even more care because he really can't be super mobile. Um, He has to wear a boot for 10 days. And then, you know, he can take his boot off and he can go be reevaluated again. And then we're going to get right back on aggressive, um, what is it called? I was going to say strength training, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Physical therapy. Thank you. We're going to get right back on aggressive physical therapy and everything. Uh, And so with that being said, I'm, I'm thinking heavily about care and how I'm taking care of myself. And my abstinence journey is also something that really began because I said, I just want to take better emotional care of myself. Physical too, yes, of course. Really emotional though. And now, right, there's going to be a couple of days where I'm going to be in a space, although I'm in my own home, right? Although I'm in a home that is mine, mine, not just because I live here, but it's actually mine. <laughs> um, even though I'm in my own home, I'm not going to feel that I'm in a very safe and peaceful space because my experience has been any time that she's here, it's, you know, things just get to a place that's very upsetting. And no matter how much I love you, I'm praying for you, or no matter how much I just don't engage with whatever's being said to me, um, it still escalates to the level that it escalates to, right? Um, I can be totally silent. I can be in my room, door closed and locked, and things are still said and happen that any person would say you really shouldn't endure that but you know the things we do for family um and so i'm feeling really burdensome to my friends i have very different responsibilities from my friends at 26 and so expressing to them that i'm in this kind of space where i'm like I can't see y'all. I can't hang out with y'all. I really can't do much with y'all. If anything, if you want to 
see me or show me care, you can come to my home and help me, right? But I understand why some of them are hesitant to come help me or are not jumping at the offer to help me. And I don't take offense to that. I think some people would. And I say this to all of you young caretakers out there, that you have to understand, especially if, you're, if your friends don't have kids, they are not ever really going to be able to understand it. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to know that they still love you and that they are going to show up for you in the way that they can. And now you are absolutely allowed to decide if that is or is not enough. And now if you decide that that is not enough, before you go, I'm going to cut this person off. I would like for you to first sit down and write out all the ways in which you could feel supported, protected, and loved and poured into during this time of great responsibility. And then once you do that, I want you to sleep on it. And then I want you to do it again. Don't look at the page you already have done. Get a new page, get a new pen, do it again. And then compare those two pages Okay, in the ways that you wrote down, how you can feel cared for, supported, and poured into, right? Compare. And then I want you to reach out to your friends, the ones you really trust, the ones you, you know, call family and community. And I want you to communicate that to them. And then after you communicate that to them, then is when I want you to really make a decision on if you really feel like maybe some of these people I I can't be in community with. In the same way, they don't have to totally be out of your life, right? It just means you may not be able to call on them for these sort of things. And that's fine because I have found out, I have found out that there are friends who I love down and who and who will show up for me in many, 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 many other circumstances, right? Who have shown up for me even better than other friends for certain things who cannot be present for me when it comes to the care of my grandfather or to the overwhelming anxiety I feel around also caring for my aunt now in her time of need. Um, yeah. And so this still applies to your abstinence. You feel me? There are friends that you are going to be able to call on to support you when you feel a urge or a desire or when you feel like you want to backslide or when you feel like you were getting so restless and so hopeless or when you get into that, you know, oh, I'm going to be forever alone type state. There are going to be friends that you can call on for that conversation and support and there are going to be friends that you just can't. You just can't. They're uninterested. You know, it really doesn't pertain to them, to be quite honest. Um, or they feel uncomfortable. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in what we need, our needs, wants, and desires, that we forget that sometimes our needs, wants, and desires do make other people uncomfortable. It just does. 
It just does. And you don't have to rationalize, right? They don't even have to rationalize it to you. Like as long as how they express or maybe show that mm, this kind of brings me some discomfort, as long as it's not like hurting you, then you kind of have to just pick up on those cues sometimes and go, oh, okay, perhaps I can't come to you with this, you know, conversation and seeking the support. And so I, um, as a caretaker, I find myself sometimes getting frustrated because of course, when you're a caretaker, every, it's like when you're a parent, right? Everybody, everybody has critiques. Everybody has criticism. And the people that have the most criticism, right? Are often the people that don't do it, never had to do it, or maybe have only done it for a short amount of time, but it never really was their full responsibility, right? Parents all the time will tell you like, everybody's going to tell you how to parent your child, especially the people who don't have kids. And then you're really looking at them like, now how you going to tell me, right? Well, you don't even got a baby or you never even raised no five-year-old, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, there are some fundamental truths. There are some things you just should and shouldn't do. But y'all know that we're not talking about that. You know we're just talking about the nitty-nitty, nitpicky things or nitty-gritty things that people say, you know, if it were me or if I were do 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 when it's like, you honestly cannot say that because it never has been. It most likely never will be because you've made choices, right, so that it isn't. Um, And so don't do that. And as a caretaker... I would say in the first couple of years, I got a lot of that from various people, not even like just family, but like friends, whatever. But as time has gone on and people actually see the care that I provide, pretty much everybody has shut up. And um, I know that some people, though, have not. Right. And one of them does happen to be this aunt. And what is, it's always been a point of contention though. And now that she's in a state, right, where she needs care, thank goodness, right, she has a home health aide that will be here also assisting her. And then when she goes back home, we'll be assisting her there where she lives. Um, even with that, right, before she had um, this this most recent, about um, when she was staying for a bit, whatever I did like wasn't good, right? Anything I did was not good. It was met with pushback or whatever. And then I did have some family members who have had their own immediate family members who have gone through uh, cancer in general tell me, you know, well, you know, people do get very irritable when they go through treatment and do do do. And I was like, no, 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 yeah, yeah, thank you for that. But one cousin of mine in particular, who I really look up to very much, uh, has gone through this with her parent. And she expressed to me, you know, she was like, although, yes, treatment causes people to be irritable, and although it is a very scary thing, and although, right, the diagnosis could be considered terminal, and that is very scary for any person to face. That is never an excuse for, you know, lack of um, basic, let's say, respect and 
fairness and kindness. I'm not going to use the language of nice because I don't think that anybody has to be nice to somebody, but I do think people need to be fair, right? Equitable and like base level respect and, you know, kindness, but not nicety because sometimes people are nice, right? Even in the face of like outright disrespect. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't need to be nice now. You know, you need to be fair and equitable. You don't need to be nice. Um, Right. And what's this cousin was explaining to me and she's older. She's in her fifties, this cousin. And she was like, you know, you have to really respect your own boundaries. And at the end of the day, people are always going to have their criticism. People are always going to feel how they feel. You're never going to be able to please every single person. And although this is my aunt and I love her and she is my elder, she uh, doesn't have, let's say, the right to still, right, treat me and speak to me in the ways that she does and has over the years. She doesn't, it, it, her cancer doesn't give her even more of a reason to do it, you know, even more so. It's like, the, no, you know, like, you know, you don't get to throw that at people when you've called them everything but a child of God, right? Simply because whatever. Um, but that meant a lot to me to hear because I was really getting to this place where I was like, I, you know, maybe I am a bad caretaker. Maybe I am just a terrible person, right? You start getting that in your head because if people tell you that, even if one person, right, tells you that over and over and over and over, it becomes difficult to not start to believe it or to at least not let it like permeate your mind. So I was getting to a space where it was starting to like permeate my mind and my cousin kind of brought me back and was like, listen, right? Like I've seen the messages. I've seen the letters, right? Over the years, I've heard the things. I've I've seen the treatment. I know what you endured as a child. <laughs> like I saw them letters you got sent as a kid, as a child, right? From a person that I quite honestly could say I idolized and at a time, I was like, you know, I kind of, I think I want to be kind of, kind of like her when I grow up, right? Um, she's like, I, I, I saw all of that, and so this is a very, very difficult time for the family, and it's most difficult for her because she is the one actually living and experiencing it. It's like no matter what happens post her diagnosis, she is the only person that actually has to like live it day in and day out. We might be experiencing it by proxy of course but like I'm not you know I'm not feeling it you know I'm not having to get the treatments I'm not at the hospital you know I'm not being poked and prodded at I'm not being told whatever the doctor's telling you you know like I'm not being scared shitless out of my mind wondering like how long do I have left right like that's that I'm not experiencing that um and and honestly anybody experiencing that you know they they're going to respond how they're going to respond people honestly I feel you get told something like that, cancer, hey, you you know, you get free reign to act out for a little bit, for a little bit. Cause that's wild. That's wild. But um, two things can be true. Two things can be true at once. And it was, honestly, y'all, it was really hard for me to really accept that because I just felt like, am I a bad person if I still have this anxiety? If I still, you know, don't feel sugar plums and gumdrops? towards my aunt, even with her going through this. And so that conversation with my cousin really helped me understand like, no, 
it doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a person. Like it, it makes you human. You know, she went through this with her own parents and she was like, you know, we ain't had the first relationship. Now she was very close to her mother. They had a very good relationship, but not so much with her father. And she was like, you know, I experienced similar feelings. Like with, with her father, she was like, you know, what he was going through was horrible. And ultimately it did kill him. And she said, and even then, much as I loved him, much as I cared for him, I still honored and respected the very real reality that our relationship was not good, you know? And he had not always treated me with kindness. And that what, you know, how she was treated as a child and as a teen and as a young adult, due to whatever his own traumas were that led him to respond to his own child in that way, and that, you know, crept up into her adulthood, she was like, at the end of the day, like, it was what it was, and that was our very real relationship to each other as human beings, you know? And so what I pray for all of us is that we can be more honest about our very real human experiences and not try to make things so black and white and say, you know, if it's not A, then it's B, and then if it's if it's not A or B, well, then you just ain't shit, you know, like... If it's not black or white, then it can't be nothing else. And it's like very much of this world, very much of this lived and human experience is gray. It's very gray. It's very in the middle, you know, it's very in the middle. And so as I release all of this, one, I do feel lighter. (laughs) I do feel lighter. And I feel that I'm in a much better space to really move forward. And these next few days are going to be what they're going to be and that I'm not going to allow someone else's judgment for things of which they have never done and never had to do uh, affect me in any sort of way. To allow words to really roll off you, okay, like water on oil, it's much more difficult you know, done than said. These next few days, I'm going to actually try to do it. <laughs> I'm going to actually really respect my boundaries, um, even with everything going on. Because I know that there will be judgment upon arrival, you know, from my grandfather's current state, even though it was something completely out of my control, you know? Even though it was something that I couldn't prevent, happening. I couldn't stop from happening. It's something that happened. It's an unfortunate thing that's happening. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that like literally puts knots in my belly. What I'm grateful for is that he's okay, that he can still walk, that he only has to wear a boot for 10 days and that it's a very minor uh, fracture and that it's a very minor fracture closer to a sprain then it is a full break, right? A fracture is a break in the bone. A minor fracture is a very small break in the bone. Um, And a sprain can even sometimes have a very, very tiny hairline break in the bone. And so I'm happy that it's closer to that than it was like, you know, a major fracture or clean, you know, break. Like I'm very glad it wasn't like that, something major that would have required surgery, you know, just a much longer 
healing recovery period. I'm just glad it's not that. But I know there will be judgment, right? What I'm grateful for is that although I know the judgment may be coming from her, I know that I didn't do anything. And sometimes it's really hard to remind yourself that like you didn't do anything or that things are really out of your control. Um, with abstinence, like a lot of things actually with abstinence are out of your control. Like they are, you know, some of your dating experiences are going to be very much out of your control when you're abstaining. Like how people are going to respond to you is out of your control. So I know that for the next few days, I'm going to be around a person who I know has had a negative response to me since I was a kid, you know, since I was a child um, due to their own traumas and hurts and pains. And that was just a way that they released it and manifested it. And it's unfortunate, but it is the truth. It is what happened. Like I said, I'm not going to go into full details, but I think y'all pick up what I'm putting down. Um, And so although in adulthood, right, you have to understand that a person's truth is always going to be their truth. A person's reality is always going to be their reality. You look up, the sky is blue. Someone can tell you the sky is green. You can't tell them the sky is not green. If their eyes see a green sky, they see a green sky. They just do. But if the sky is blue to you, you let the sky be blue to you. And you move accordingly to that blue sky. So long as you are not causing harm to anyone else intentionally. Because there are going to be times where, yeah, you do unintentionally cause harm to people. You can't always control how people receive. Right? So I know that I can't control her response to me. And I also know that I can't control how she receives me. Even if I think I am saying something in the nicest, most sweetest tone that I have to offer, it could be received as annoying. You know, it could be received as high pitched. It could be received as snarky or condescending. It could even be re- received as silly or funny. Right? How many times have you said something and been totally serious? And people think you're joking, but you're totally, there's not a, to you, there's not a hint of joke or jest, jovialness in your voice, but that's how people received your delivery. So you can't always control how people are, how people receive you and you can't always control people respond to you. It's the same thing about your abstinence journey. You cannot, you really cannot control how people are going to receive you being on this journey and you have no control. You actually have no control on how people are going to respond to you sharing that you're on this journey, living this journey, walking in it. You have no control over their response. You can't always control how they receive. Sometimes you can. That's why I said you can't always. I didn't say you can't totally because sometimes you can Right, you can you maybe could set up the environment in such a way to where they might receive it a bit better, but you totally can't control response. You totally can't control response. And so you have to let go of this like belief or this feeling that 
your abstinence journey is something that you really can perfectly uh, manicure and tailor. Because you can't. And if you ask me, you really shouldn't want to. You should want it to be the experience that is for your best self. You want it to be an experience that brings out your best self. And you have to be okay if that means that who you are today is not who you'll be tomorrow, is not who you'll be next week, is not who you'll be four weeks from now, a month, four years, five years, however long, right? Um, I'll provide another real life example. With my aunt and I, I realized for many years I was meeting her what I received as combativeness. Um, again, as a child, I'm talking about this is me at like 16, 17, 18, 19, 12, 10, <laughs> right? Um, as a, these, this is child years. This is children. A teenager is a child. Yes, 18, quote unquote, you are an adult. You can be tried as an adult, but like you're a child. You feel me? like you're a child. You can't rent no car. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, you can't, you can't rent a car. You can't go to a club. You're a child. So during those years of my life, I really was meeting her, you know, with the same energy. Like as most children do. Most of the time you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to meet you on the playground, right? I'm going to give you the same energy you give me. But as I progress into adulthood, I was like, yeah, this is stupid. Like, I was like, this is just dumb. Like, what what's going on here? Like, this is this is dumb now. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta stop. I actually have to stop meeting you where you're at because I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that mental space. That's not even a space I want to live in no more. And so about like three years ago, yeah, like three, four years ago, I, I stopped meeting her where she was at. Um and I can say when I arrived at that place at like 22, about to be 23, and now I'm 26. Once I arrived at that place, once I really was like, yeah, I'm not meeting you where you at no more. Like I'm not meeting your vitriolic language with even more vitriolic language. Like I'm not doing it, right? I'm the antics. I'm not doing it. Um, even raising my like, right? Like, oh, here's a good example. Raising my voice is something I don't do anymore. I decided a year ago I just wasn't going to raise my voice anymore. I just wasn't. And so I don't. And I realize a lot of times people talk to me, especially like in a serious conversation or you could say like a heated conversation, like when folks are getting loud or even emotional, maybe they're not getting loud, but you can tell like maybe their anger or whatever is going up, right? I don't meet them. Uh... Excuse me, I take a sip. I don't meet them there. <laughs> I could be feeling the same thing. I could really be feeling the same thing for real. I could be feeling, 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 feeling the same thing for real emotionally, but I'm not going to meet them there in conversation. And so I decided, you know, I'm not raising my voice no more. I'm not doing that. And I have a tendency, I want those people who, um, like laughs when they're nervous, but also laughs when they're angry. That is my response. Uh, that's my body's way of actually calming me down. Cause it's like, if I don't laugh, 
nothing could be funny. Like I could like nothing could be funny. I don't find anything being said from me or the other person funny. But my body, because when you laugh, you know, you release it's chemicals that go off in your brain. It's endorphins, things that are right, your your neurons and signals and pathways are sending things right to your brain to respond and to your body. So like when you laugh, right, you can calm yourself down. When you laugh, you can release certain things that make your body go, it ain't that serious, okay? Ain't that serious. You got 10 toes, you got 10 fingers, you got all your limbs, you have your wits about you. Just calm on, just calm down. Just like, let's just, let's just calm it on down. Let's just take a deeper, let's calm it down. So I tend to laugh, like, or I might start to smirk. Um, Again, not because I'm trying to be condescending, not because I'm trying to be snarky, but it's just my body's like it's my body's natural response. Because if I don't do that, and this started to happen, like I realized I started doing this when I decided I'm not gonna raise my voice anymore. This is what my body does to calm down. Like my body immediately goes joy, joy, joy. Let's bring ourselves some joy. Let's let's say a joke in our head. Like now it's such a subconscious thing, like a un like I do it unconsciously now. Like somebody has a point out to me, like like I'll be in a conversation with somebody that they might feel is an argument, right? And they'll be like, Oh, now you're like smirking or now you're laughing. And I'll be like, Oh, I apologize. I'm very sorry. I don't mean to do that. I just I don't want to raise my voice right now and you are raising your voice and so I'm trying not to. So that's just my natural response. And what I have found is that when I do say that People still think I'm being condescending or like I'm lying or something. And I'm like, oh, I'm being honest. I'm being so honest. But you know what I found? When you're very, very honest, like when you're for real, for real honest, when you're like, I'm I'm really not lying right now in this moment. Like, that's really how I feel. <laughs> like, I'm, uh, I'm being for real. Uh, people will really think you lying. People will, because I've realized that people really often are not met with like, a hundred percent honesty. I don't like the term like oh brutal honesty because why does that have to be like br-? it's not really brutal, but I will say it could be jarring. I, I've heard people say radical honesty a little bit, and I'll say like yeah, like twenty twenty six is like my I'm entering my radical honesty year, or I've been in my radical honesty year where I'm just like I'm not when it's between me and a person, especially if it's like a disagreement. Or we're just bumping heads. We're not seeing eye to eye. Or even if it's just a very vulnerable conversation, a lot of things are getting shared or whatever. Like, I'm not about to sit here and cap. Like, I'm not about to sit here and like, I'm be honest. I'm really going to say how I feel. I'm really going to share what's coming to my mind. You know, I'm going to take a beat. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to think about what I say. I'm going to choose my words and my language intentionally, but I'm being honest with you. (laughs) Like, I'm being honest. And I have found that a lot of times people really don't think I'm being honest. And I also have decided now that I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to stop saying, oh, no, but I'm being serious. Oh, no, I'm just going to let people believe what they want to believe about what I'm saying. Because, again, it's not your responsibility. I mean, it's really not. I feel that we feel that. It is our responsibility. It, we like we have to placate people. We have to make people feel comfortable all the time. 
even when they've caused discomfort in ourselves, or we have to make people feel comfortable when they have caused discomfort in themselves. You know, let let me quell what they're feeling. No, that's not your response. Don't even put that on yourself. You're about to put yourself under so much anxiety and a negative thought because you taking on what's not yours. And in this current season right now for my family and for myself, I realized that I, for the last six months, <laughs> have taken on a lot of what's not mine. A lot of what's not. I got back pain. I got neck pain. I'm having headaches. I don't have headaches. I'm not a headache person, you know? Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not going to sleep at 10 p.m. I be up all night. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. These are signs of anxiety in the spirit of depression. And we have to rebuke that. We have to get active. We have to take actionable steps to release and to let go. Yes, all of these things are happening around you, but are they happening to you? Yes, all these things are happening around you, but are they happening to you? Are they happening to you? No. So you do what you can and you do what you must, but you respect your boundaries. You respect the spaces that you have created to keep yourself safe. People will always have a judgment. People will always have a response. People will always have something to say. You have to make sure that you have gotten right with you and that you have gotten right with spirit, the creator, God, ancestors, whatever language that you would like to use. But you have got to make sure you write with you, 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 because if you could wake up in the morning and say, I am, I'm okay with my decisions. I'm satisfied with my choices. Then it really doesn't matter what somebody else says. It doesn't matter if someone tells you, oh, but you're doing it wrong. No, I'm doing it right for me. Thank you. I appreciate your feedback, and if I feel that it will improve me, then I will take it into consideration. Thank you. And that's all you got to say. I know now that because I speak in that way now, I, like that, like I want you to know that's how I talk to people. That's how I talk to people. And when I say those sort of things, I genuinely mean it because I, I won't say that if I don't mean it. I won't say it at all. Right. But that's how I talk to people. If somebody has a judgment, whatever, a disapproval, a sarcastic, whatever. If I feel it warrants that response, I will say. I am doing it right for me. But if I find that what you're saying will improve me, then I will take it into consideration. Thank you. That's it. Some people, they like that. They respect that. You know, firm handshake. They appreciate that answer. Some people, I'm being a bitch. I don't care because I know I said what I mean. I mean what I say. That's all. God knows I say what I mean. I mean what I say. You know, I'm real about it. And if I disagree with you, I actually really, I I probably won't say much else, but thank you for sharing that. And that's it. People, a lot of times, want to be right. 
They want you to validate their rightness and they want you to placate them. Even more so when a person is older than you are, they really want you to placate them, tell them they're right and validate their rightness. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You can walk away. <laughs> like they have to be right with themselves. That's the only person they need to be right to themselves, to God, to spirit. That's what they have to be right with and right to. You don't have to tell them that they're right. They could even be flat out wrong. Right? Two plus two is four, but they could say it's five. And you could say, thank you for sharing that. You don't got to tell them they're wrong. Thank you for sharing that. You can go on with your day. Right? Because people are looking for spaces, especially when they're hurt, especially when they have a lot of pain. People are looking for places where they can poke. And as someone who has and continues to have a very privileged life that I don't ever take for granted, one thing I will say that I have had to get used to over the years, I live in I live in the city, y'all. I live in the city. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. Whether or not the windows are open or closed, that's the sound of the city. Um, one thing I've had to get used to is people poking at me, whether it be my own family, whether it be strangers, whether it be acquaintances, right? I've had to get used to people poking at me. And a lot of times it frustrates people when you've had a very different experience from them, but you might've had the same circumstance and opportunity, right? And as I've gotten older, I realized that many people in my life who are supposed to be elders, who are supposed to be guiding me, right? People I'm supposed to be looking up to uh, are not here for that. They're not here for that. They, they, that's what I want them to be. I want them to be guiding. I want them to be elders I can look up to. I want them to be here for me, but they're not. They're not. And that's okay because I have realized that they have their own First of all, they're, they're, they're just people. They're their own people. That's one. Your mom, your dad, they're just two people who had a kid. That's it. They are. They are. And before you, before they had a child, before they even met each other, they had their own lives and their own lived experiences. So they have their own traumas. They have their own wants, needs, desires, fears, expectations, loves, right? They have that. And so we all have to figure out how to work through those things. And some of us sometimes don't, and we never do. And I think that we have to get comfortable saying that. I think a lot of times we put this whole, like, people are going to get it. People are going to work it up. No, they're not. Some people are not going to. Some people are not. And that is okay. You can still love those people. Those people might even be your family. Okay. And there might be seasons where that person is even your partner. What you have to do is be right with you and respect and honor your boundaries and understand that so long as you're coming from a pure place with pure intentions, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter. You know, I really love my aunt. I do. And I know that to her because she has said it to me. 
<laughs> all right, on multiple occasions, all right? Even after I've cared for her, all right? Because I want to, but because she's my aunt and because I do love her, right? That she never wants to talk to me again, right? That she never wants to see me again, that I'm horrible, that I've been terrible since a kid and all these things, right? Even though she used to be my best friend, right? Um, I'm going to still be who I am, right? Towards her. I am. I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care. Because I understand that that's her lived reality. And like I said, I'm not going to get too much into it. But I also know that, that that's trauma and pain speaking. And that that is experiences that I may never be made aware of totally in full context and detail speaking. And as 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 the, the 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 ancient proverb says, right? What someone says of another person says more about them than it says of that person. Okay? So what John says about Mary says more about John than it says about Mary. Um Though I've been called many things, I would never, ever repeat those things to her. I'd never call her that. I'd never do the same thing. I just wouldn't because it's not how I truly, genuinely feel about her. But it's also not how I feel about myself. And one thing my grandpa, and I thank God for him, instilled in me and continues to instill in me is, listen, how you going to talk about another person really is how you feel about yourself. So if you calling somebody else a bitch, you must think you're a bitch. Like, unless this person has truly wronged you, you know? I mean, like, they took your dress and didn't return. Like, even though that's not warranted for calling someone out of their name, but you get what I'm saying? Like, if someone hasn't really truly wronged you, you just, like, feel away because you feel away. That's you, not them. Like, that's you, not them. And so when I was younger, I used to think it was me. One, because I was a little kid and I was a teenager, right? Um, Young adult, 20, 21. Like, that's a kid, bro. 26, I still like a kid, but like 26, I'm definitely, come on now. My big age is some stuff. You got to be like, now stop it. You know, don't be stupid down to folks level. But when I was a kid, like, I used to really feel like, oh my God, it's me. Like, it's me. It's me. It's me. But that's why I'm a huge proponent for um, therapy. Because it's like, it's sometimes it's, it's sometimes it is you. You know? Yes, it is. Sometimes it is you. But most of the time, it's really not you. And you center yourself in people's lives and forget that they are actually the center of their lives. And so whatever they're, they are experiencing or whatever they have already experienced, whatever they perceive as their truth, that is their center. And so although it could be warped to you now, it's their truth. But although it may be warped, right? Like, that's their truth. Like, that is what it is. It's like, say you have a family member who is bipolar, Kanye West, famously bipolar, right? How he might treat you Going through a bipolar episode is not a reflection of you, right? But it can it can feel like it is a reflection of you. Because in that current moment, his truth 
might be that you are the enemy. Or his truth, right, is that you're like not taking him seriously or you're making fun of him. That's his truth for the moment. And although you're like, but I'm really not, like I know I'm not, I'm making every, you know, effort to not because maybe I know that, that this is an episode and certain things trigger, but you know, you can't know everybody's every single little trigger, right? Although you know it's not you, that's not what you're doing. That is that person's truth for the moment. That's Kanye's truth for the moment. And so it takes a lot of mental fortitude to really be like, okay, you know, like, I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to invalidate. And I'm not saying say this out loud. This isn't the you say to yourself. This, This is your internal mantra, right? I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I'm not going to invalidate what you're saying. But I'm also not going to internalize what you're saying. And I'm going to continue to be kind and be tender and be soft. And even if you don't receive it in that way, because first of all, you've already built something up. So you you can't even really receive it because you won't even let yourself, which is also fine. You don't have to. But I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm being. I know the energy and spirit that, that I'm coming through. And so really, I don't need you to receive it in that way. I'm just going to keep being who I'm going to be. Because a lot of times, too, I think we want people, we're we're so like caught up on wanting people to receive us as, you know, the bestest, nicest, most lovingest, sweetest person. You know, like, it's like, oh my gosh, everything is coming to an end because someone thought I was mean. It's like, yeah, but were you mean? No, you weren't. Then you weren't mean, you know, like. Then you weren't mean. You could bake somebody cupcakes for their birthday. And they could say, this is the worst thing someone's ever done for me. What can you do? You know what I mean? Like, what What can you do? Does it make you a bad person? No. You know what I mean? Like, you can't internalize these things. Because they will really eat away at you and make you feel horrible. When you you have no right to feel horrible. You should not feel horrible. So as I prepare for the next couple of days and also put you all on notice that you might not hear from me for about a week, is that I want you to keep walking this journey with the understanding that everybody's going to have something to say. Everybody. Whether they actually say it, (laughs) all right, or you just feel it, or they hint at it, they throw subs, whatever everyone's going to have something to say. It might even be your own family. And that there might come times in your life where things are getting sort of difficult. They're getting sort of hectic. And they're very much out of your control. And so they cause you to seek comfort, right? And you might feel like, I want to backslide, right? I want to seek comfort in a way that I, I know I probably shouldn't. Because if I start doing that, then I'm going to start doing this. And then oopsie poopsies. Now it's dick up in you. (laughs) Right? And then you're like, oh, shit. What the fuck? How did this happen? Um, And if that does happen, it's okay, sweetie. It's okay. You can always start over. You're fine. (laughs) You're fine. But um, to help manage and to not backslide. Right. And to not 
seek out comfort in that way. I want you to really, really take that time for yourself. Take the walk if you can. Wake up an extra hour early before everybody else does just to get yourself, you know, an hour of silence and peace. Pop on the the meditation, right? Watch that YouTube video you've been meaning to watch, but you just keep putting off because this, that, and the third, right? Listen to the podcast. Like, do the thing that you can in the space that you have that gives you comfort that is outside of succumbing to your lustful feelings. Because I know for me, uh, when I was younger, a trigger for, like, even wanting to have sex was literally traumatic experiences like oh shit everything is like going to shit or everything feels like it's going to shit like let me call up my little yeah yeah and get into something right that's what i would do that's what i would do it didn't happen like super often but it would happen and so i know that for me a situation like this what I'm currently experiencing this current season is one where I could potentially be like, oh, I think I want to backslide. So I'm coming to y'all in real time because I told y'all this is a very real time podcast. I'm not one of them, you know, oh, here's this lifestyle I'm living and how y'all should be, you know, living it to type things. And then I'm like, not even coming to you in real time. I'm talking about stuff that was, you know, 12 years ago. Like, girl, what you doing today? What you doing now? How you feeling now? Right? I'm telling y'all how I'm feeling now. It's June 2023. I think it's like the 16th right now. 15th, 16th. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking at my, my calendar right now. But it's one of them days. But you know, I'm coming to y'all in real time. I'm coming to y'all in real time. Relatively real time. Live time, prime time. Because I want y'all to know that this is a journey. This is a walk. This is a living, breathing thing that you're doing abstaining and that life sometimes be lifing and that can make you want to backpedal that can make you want to backslide know that if you do please don't beat yourself up please don't feel bad you're a human being and things happen i'm just here to encourage you to not if you can just don't i love you Thank you for spending some time with me. I'm not sure how long this podcast will be. Some things might get edited out for the sake of time, like unnecessary ums and ands or long, dull pauses. But outside of that, uh, it's going to be a pretty raw episode. You know, we're going to fix up the sound and everything. Y'all probably going to hear my bangles because of this mic. I'm on the lookout for a new microphone, so... Apologies if the bangles get a little too clicky, click, clack, clack for you. I'm a bangle girly. Always have been since I was little. Thank you. (laughs) Deep breaths. (sighs) You made it to the end. And you'll be back at the beginning when you wake up. I love you. Thank you. Keep going. I believe in you. And you believe in you. If you have to say it, say it.
I believe in me. I believe in me. I love y'all. For real. Y'all keep me going, baby. Y'all keep me going. Y'all keep y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all keep me going. <laughs>